good morning, folks. How are you? Lovely storm last night. Anyone sleep peacefully through it and miss the thunder and lightning altogether? Oh, man, I wanted to. But I have a dog that thinks the end of the world is happening. And so I wake up and I have to experience the end of the world with him each time. Uh, listen, we are, we are, we're on, we're almost to the end of Core 52. It's been 52 weeks. This is week 50. And we are at a topic that seems to be like it should have come at the very, very beginning. But today we're talking about scripture. And our approach is going to be, I think, a practical approach. The last couple of weeks, I feel like, have really leaned into some really practical stuff. So we've talked about worry and anxiety. We've talked about some practical ways to manage the, probably the, the very human tendency that we all have to, to lean into worry. Um, but God tells us not to. And so we looked at some practical ways to, to not worry. Last week, we talked about ways that we encourage each other, and we looked at the idea of mentoring, some practical ways to approach mentoring, what it is and what it isn't, um, and how to embrace that role in our own lives. Today, we're looking at how we grow through the study of Scripture. We're going to just look at some practical ways that we do that, but to get that started, I wanted to, wanted to show you this little thing right here. Does anyone have any idea what this little object is? It's shiny. It's pretty. I picked it up in Israel. I'm giving you some hints. You might start to imagine that you know what this, any ideas, any ideas? Okay, if anyone had gotten it correct, I have an, an olive wood version here that I was going to, to give to the correct guesser of this, um, but no one guessed, so I guess I take this home with me and keep it for myself. Again, I brought this back from Israel because I saw it someplace I said, ooh, that is really cool. I want one of those. And then I found this one. And I thought, when I get home, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use this. And for three years, it is set in a box in my bedroom, and I've not done a thing with it. So I'm going to explain what this is. But to do that, I've got to give a little background. If you travel to Israel, you will go to the Wailing Wall. And when you're there, and I want all of you to go at some point in time, you're going to get there and you're going to see these guys dressed up, uh, men particularly, in black and white. And then they're going to have these interesting things. They're going to have a black box either on their upper arm or a black box right here on the crown of their head. And they're going to be strapped on with these black straps. So picture that if you can. Uh, if you can't, then I recommend traveling to Israel and you'll see it up close and personal. So that's one place you'll see this interesting thing. And then if you go to someone's house, and we have a Sabbath dinner with a family, and when you go into their home, you will see on the doorpost of their front entry a box like this or like this that's attached, and it's attached for a very specific reason. Inside those boxes, both the ones on the head or the arm or on the door, there's a scripture. And the scripture comes from the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 6, 4 and 5. And here's what that scripture says. Hear, O Israel. This is called the Shema. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. 
And that verse is an encapsulation of all the commands that God made Moses. All the laws are tied up in that one verse. In fact, Jesus says exactly the same thing. When the, when the Pharisees, when the leaders, of spiritual leaders, religious leaders come to Jesus and say, Jesus, okay, here's a test of your real knowledge. What is the greatest command of all that Moses gave us? What is the greatest command? And Jesus says... And he reiterates this Old Testament passage. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Interesting change in choice there, isn't it? We'll talk about that in a, in a little bit. So this is, this is an Old Testament passage, and this passage is what's put inside something like this before it's nailed to the side of a door or put inside the boxes on the forehead or the arm. And they do that for this reason right here. And this is found also in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 and 9. Here's what God tells Moses. He says, these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart and you shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. All the time you're to talk about these commands of God. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead, and you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. And so, those boxes strapped to the arm, those boxes on the forehead, those boxes screwed to the doorpost of doors and gates are a very practical way for Jewish men and women to remember the value and importance of knowing and obeying God's word. Now, you and I both know that knowing and being transformed by God's word <laughs> involves more than just nailing something to a door or strapping something to your head. We know from our study of scripture that to be transformed and changed by it, you actually have to engage with it. And that's where our core verse comes today. It's from 2 Timothy verses, uh, chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. I'm using the English Standard Version. It's one translation of the Bible, and I like it. Um, it is uh, a part of a letter that Paul wrote to a young pastor named Timothy. And here's what Paul writes to Timothy. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. This translation says the man of God, newer translations use the man or woman of God, the child of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, I don't know about you, but I need to learn. There's things I don't know, shock. Ah, there are places where I'm wrong. I know that shocks you too. Places I need to be corrected. There's places where I'm weak that I want strengthened. There's uh, areas of my life that are not fully equipped yet that I want to be fully equipped. I want to be blessed and strengthened by God's word, and I think you do too. So today we're going to look at some practical ways to engage with God's word and to help that verse come to life in our lives. So let's pray, and we'll get started. Father, this morning we thank you for the gift of your word. We pray that as we open it, we will discover and, and learn new things. But mostly, Lord, we pray that we would be inspired to engage with it more, to open it and allow it to change us. More than something we hold in our hands, we want to hold it in our hearts. So help us to do that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.
So if you've actually got a real Bible, and by real I mean something with a binding on it and pages that you flip inside, then uh, you hold in your hand uh, an amazing, amazing library. If you've got it on an app, it's just as amazing. It's just different technology. But it's, it's an entire library of books. I used to love to go to the library. I still do, but libraries uh, and me have a different relationship now than when I was younger. When I was a kid, mom would come in once a week to do grocery shopping, and before we would go to the grocery, we would stop at the library and we would get some books to read. Now, this was in the days when you could leave your child in the car at the grocery store with some books to read uh, while you went inside and shopped for who knows how long. We were entertained in there with the windows rolled down and, I don't know, the keys probably in the ignition. Anyone could have driven off with us. I don't think that was mom's secret plan um, because she did take us to the library first. So we'd get books, we'd go, go to mom would do her errands. I loved the library. In your hand, in your Bible, you have a library. Just as libraries have sections that you go in, you find what you want under the correct section, the, the, the Bible has some sections as well. You've got the, the section of the law. This is where God instructs his people on what he expects from them. You have a section of history, and this is where, where we are introduced to people of faith like Abraham and Joseph and David and the judges and kings and, and the way that God used all of them, both on their good days and on their really bad days. But he works through all of that to teach us something about himself and his intentions towards us. There's a whole section on poetry. I don't know if you guys are intimidated by, by poetry. When, when we say poetry in the Bible, we mean like a whole type of literature. There's poetry, there's songs, there's some proverbs, um, but all of these just sort of represent and uh, express the, the, the wisdom and the worship of God's people. And then there are the prophets. There's both the major and the minor prophets. And the, the major and the minors, if you've read uh, Core 52 on this chapter, you'll know that the major and minor prophets aren't the important ones and the not-so-important ones. The major and minor prophets simply mean the, the majors, those are long books of prophecy, and the minor prophets are short books of prophecy. So they refer to length, not importance. That's just the Old Testament. The New Testament is also like a library. You have a section of biographies, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are biographies about the life of Jesus and how he engaged with people. And through those biographies, you meet God face-to-face -face through Jesus. They're incredible. They remind me that not only did God love them, but he loves you and me, and he loves you know, your neighbor and your children's first-grade teacher and the guy who runs a cab cab business in Moscow and the guy who sells figs in Iraq and the, and the people in Turkey who make carpets. God loves every one of them. And we see that expressed through the Gospels. Then we get to Acts. I love to travel. So I have a special fondness for the book of Acts because Acts is sort of a combination history book and travel blog. So you get to see how God worked in the history of the early church and see the challenges that they dealt with and in a world that was just rough at the time. It still is, by the way. You see how God worked among his people there. And then you follow these missionaries. Paul, particularly, you, you can follow him on his journeys. If you've got a map, you can actually map out where he went and what happened while he was there. After we get the book of Acts, we move into some of the letters that guys like Peter and John and Paul wrote to the early church. These are church leaders who, who were teaching the people um, that are becoming Christians what it means to live for Jesus in a world that does not 
like the message of Jesus. The New Testament ends with the book of Revelation. And, and some people find the book of Revelation pretty intimidating. Um, but the book of Revelation is simply this final encouraging message to the church that though times get rough, God wins in the end. That is the encapsulation of the book of Revelation. Now, here's the truth. Understanding how the Bible is organized, it's great. That really actually helps me approach it a little easier. But simply knowing how the Bible is organized doesn't really help me be transformed by it. I've actually got to open it and engage with it. David calls this hiding it in our hearts. Psalm 119 verse 11 is a, is a verse I think many of us memorized if we went to Sunday school growing up. Psalm 119.11 says this, and let's say it together. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against thee. That's the whole point, isn't it? We engage with God's word, we put it into our lives so that we can live out a life that is pleasing to God. And that sounds great, but where do we even begin? Because if you and I are honest, the first time we opened our Bibles, we probably were a little bit intimidated by it. One, it's a thick book. And I don't know about you, but thick books intimidate me. Um, it's a thick book, and the pages are really thin. I don't have any other book in my whole shelving system that has pages as thin as the Bible pages for some reason. I don't know why the Bible loves those thin pages, but every publisher who puts a Bible out tends to use those really, really thin pages, probably so they can get more in a, in a, in a uh, not-so-thick thick binding. Lots of pages, tiny little letters, small print, <laughs> and so many names. So many names that are unfamiliar, hard to pronounce. People and places I've never heard of. A culture that is so far removed from our own, it can almost feel like a fantasy or fable at times. There's the new section, there's the old section, the New Testament, the Old Testament. Plus, what's up with all those versions? So many different versions of the Bible. Where do you even start? Does anyone else besides me feel somewhat intimidated by all of those challenges? Many of us open the Bible with great intentions, but because of all this, we're overwhelmed and we give it a shot. We try for a week or two, and then we put it down, and we just pray that the preacher knows his stuff and can tell us what we need to know. Hmm. But that's not hiding God's word in our hearts. That's not what God intended. One of the things I love to do, I'm very blessed to still have my father with me. He's in his late 70s, so he's not going to be with me forever. But while I have him, I want to use that time well, and, and uh, I love to go down to my folks' house and have coffee and just sit and talk. Dad's been teaching the Bible and Sunday school for years and years and years, and he's always, and he's still reading and still learning so many new things. And the other, uh, last week I was down there getting some coffee, and he was talking about this thing he's reading, and, and talking about the virtues of humility and the dangers of pride, virtue and pride. He, we had this long conversation about these things, conversations that I probably wouldn't have on my own, but he prompted some good thoughts inside my head. I thought about that for days afterwards. God wants the same type of relationship with us. He wants to spend time with us around the word, where we are brought into his thoughts, and he, he exposes us to new ideas and new concepts and has our life be impacted by them. And David describes that relationship 
like this, where God shares his thoughts and we are transformed bit by bit by those thoughts. In Psalm 19, verse 7 through 11, this beautiful psalm that's just a hymn of praise to God's word, he says this, the law of the Lord is perfect and that perfection restores the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. We can put confidence in the testimony of the Lord making wise the simple, and where we do not know, we can look to God's word and have confidence that it is the right way and do what it says, making us wise. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Do you ever get weary with the world and everything that's wrong with it? We go to God's word and we look at the precepts of the Lord and they're right. And we go, ah, some place, somewhere is good and right and it's in God's word. The commandments of the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean or uncontaminated and endures forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. They point us down the path that is correct so that we can please God in all that we do. Sweeter also, oh, they are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned, David says, and in keeping them there is a great reward. I look at those words and I go, restoration? Yes, I like that. Wisdom? Yes, I want that. Joy and enlightenment? Yes, yes. Purification, sweetness and reward in life? Yes, yes, yes. I want all of that. I want all of the benefits of hiding God's word in my heart. But to receive and experience those blessings, I have to spend time with him in his word. And so here are a few practical things that help me when I think about my time in God's word. And the first thing is simply this, be intentional. If I want to spend time with my dad, I got to tell you something. I can't show up at 9.30. Dad has been on the road and working for two hours by that time. If I want to see my dad, I got to get there around 7 o'clock. That's when he's moving around. He's getting his cup of coffee. He's taking some time. And if I want to spend time with him in the morning, that's when I got to do it. If I want to spend time in the afternoon, come in about after 3 or 4 o'clock. He's home by then and his little chores are done and he's got time just to relax and, and talk about whatever he wants to talk about. I have to, I have to make time for my dad. I have to be intentional about that. I need to be intentional about my time with God as well. I do mine in the morning. So I get up, try to get up about half an hour before I really need to get up. Um, Get my cup of coffee, go into the living room, sit down on the sofa, got my cup of coffee, got my Bible app open. The dog comes in and sits beside me. He knows my routine. And for about 20 minutes, we just read and we drink coffee and we stare out the window a little bit and we don't think about anything really other than what we're reading. And sometimes something will bump to the surface. I'll go, ah, that's the thought for the day that I really need to land on. It's 20 minutes of just quiet time with God and his word. I do mine in the morning. I like it to be the first thought of the day. Phyllis Fish, a friend of mine, does it in the evening. She's got her Bible right there beside her bed, and it's the last thing she reads before she goes to sleep. I don't know what works for you, but being intentional about making a time that is both reasonable and consistent, I think, will change the way you experience God's Word. I like to find a plan. I've done a reading plan for several years now that I like and reading through the Bible in a year. I I made that promise to myself when I was a teenager that I'm going to read through the Bible in a year. And so for the next 30 years, I would try that every January. I would start. 
And about January 8th, I'm like, okay, you know what? I'm going to take a different approach. But as I've gotten older, I'm like, no, Tim, this is a good thing. And so for the last couple years, I found a reading plan, and I've stuck to it. There's a lot of great reading Bible, Bible reading plans. Find one that works for you. In fact, when you came in this morning, you might have gotten um, both a, a sermon note sheet and a New Testament Bible reading plan. This is the one that I'm going to do this year. It's a chapter a day, Monday through Friday. It gives you the weekends off because we all have weeks where it's like, okay, I missed, I missed a day, I missed a day, and that gives you a little time to catch up. But if you want to do it with me, put that in your Bible, sneak that in, and we can just start checking these off as we go through the New Testament this year. But I found having a plan, a reading plan, makes it easier to focus and hear from God than just sort of randomly opening and putting my finger down and going, okay, that's what God wants me to hear today. Maybe he does, and maybe that's just purely random. I found that having a plan and moving in intentionally through that plan or topic is more helpful for my spiritual growth than just jumping around randomly. So that's, that's something I would do. Then I would invite others to join you. One of the things that we've done the last couple of years is invite others to join in that the, through the Bible plan. So Jeff Lampson's been one of those, and some others have done that. Cammie's done that, and we've, we've just had a small circle. And so we'll read through together. And if we, if we miss each other, it's like, say, hey, Jeff, I've missed you the last couple of days. Oh, well, I've, we were traveling, and it happens to me. I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I got off when I was in, in Greece, and now I'm trying to catch back up again. There's no judgment, but there is encouragement to stick with it, to, to keep reading. Plus, people sometimes will share what God's telling them in the reading, and I can be encouraged by that. Right now at 11 o'clock, uh, here in the back room, Alex and Melissa Flick are leading a, a reading and discussion group through the Old Testament. Um, they're going to be doing this through the, the rest of the year. Um, and if you want to join them reading the Old Testament through the Old Testament, that'd be a great thing to do. Come, come to service at 930 and go in there at 11 and, and be part of that reading group. If you struggle with consistency, having other people do it with you is very helpful. And then write stuff down. Some people journal, some people scratch notes. I like text a few little things, you know, when I'm doing my reading. It's just a way to sort of keep something, um, to lock something in. That's why we've got some sermon note sheets today. Really, there may be a scripture or a thought that comes down that you think, I just need to get that down. Sometimes just writing it down locks it in better than just thinking, I need to remember that. I never remember what I need to remember, but I might remember what I write down. So writing stuff down is really good, and it keeps reading from just being a passive activity. You know what I mean? Where you read it, and you go, okay, I've read my three chapters, done. If we read it with some intention and some engagement, and we write stuff down, it's more apt to stick with us. Here's what the scripture says about itself. In Hebrews chapter 4, 12, it says, The word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Have you been reading God's word and that happened? Where you're like, ouch, oh, ah, eesh, yeah, oh, that's good. This is what God's word does when we engage with it. God's word will always have something to say to you, so write it down. One of, the, one of the things that Alex's group are doing, they're using sort of an acronym to help do this. So they're, they're using this acronym called HEAR, H-E-A-R. And here's how it works. The H stands for highlight. 
simply make a note of the passage that you found challenging. Write down its Bible address, the, the book, the chapter, and the verse. And then the E is just explain. Take a minute to just say, okay, well, who was this written by? Who was this written to? How does it fit with the verses above it and below it? And what is God saying in this verse? Just do a little explanation of that verse and then apply it. Okay, how does this verse apply to me? Because it struck out at me for some reason. For some reason, God drew my attention to that verse. What is God trying to tell me about that verse in light of my own life? And then R, respond. What do I need to do now with this information? One of the things that is nice to do, if you don't have any application immediately, is just to memorize that. Take that verse and memorize it. Work on it till you've got it, and then get another verse and start memorizing that. Nice, easy pace of memorization. I tell you, one of the things that's transformed my life is, is good translations. Get a good translation. You say, well, what's a good translation? You know what? Here's what a good translation is. A version or a translation that you understand. When Jesus responded to the Pharisees and they asked him, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus did not quote from the original Hebrew version of the Old Testament. He quoted from a translation. The translation was called the Septuagint, and it was a Greek translation. Most of the Jews in Jesus' time would not have been able to read the original Hebrew Bible. Does that shock you? Jesus used a translation. Translations are wonderful. When I was 12 years old, my parents got me a gift. They got me the gift of a Bible. Now, I had a Bible already. Here's the Bible I had. Do we have a picture of that? Anyone remember that Bible? Anyone have one of those Bibles? Okay, that was a lovely Bible. I think I got it on my birthday, and I went up and put some money in the church offering plate, and they gave me a Bible. Really cool Bible, colorful Bible. But that Bible was written in a way that made it hard to understand, well, for most 12-year-olds. So my parents, my dad and mom said, we want you to have a Bible that you understand. And so they got me this Bible. Anyone remember that one? Anyone have that Bible? Anyone? Yes. Okay, so I was, I love that Bible. Now, when I unwrapped that at my, my birthday party, 12 years old, I'm like, oh, a Bible. But... You open up and you begin reading. I thought, this is really cool. I like how this talks to me. It's called the Living Bible. And even the words and the title reminded me that it's not just for people a long time ago, but it's for people who are alive right now. It's alive and active. Now, you might say, well, what's the difference? Well, there is a difference. One's, a, one's a, the authorized King James Version, and the other is a paraphrase of that. So here's how uh, our core verse today reads in the King James Version. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. I thought of my bedroom furniture when I read that verse for some reason. So that was a little bit of a distraction there. It's beautiful language. It is beautiful language. It's probably one of the most gorgeous translations of the Bible. 
But for a 12-year-old, I needed something that didn't remind me of my bedroom furniture. I needed something that reminded me of God's intentions and purposes for me. So this Living Bible is translated this way. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 of the Living Bible goes like this. The whole Bible was given to us by inspiration from God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. And it straightens us out and helps us do what is right. It is God's way of making us well prepared at every point, fully equipped to do good to everyone. I loved the way that scripture read. I understood what that scripture was saying. So I take it to Sunday school with me. And I'm so proud of my new Bible, and I put it on the table there, and I open it up, and my teacher looks over, and she says, what is that? I said, well, that's my new Bible. And she goes, hmm, that's not a Bible. She goes, we only use the King James Version here. That's the real Bible, and that's what we use. Don't bring that one back. And so I took that Bible that my parents got me, and I am embarrassed to tell you that I put it on my shelf, and I didn't use it for a long, 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 long time. I left that living Bible right there. And, and for the longest time in my life, I looked with suspicion at different translations and paraphrases. Like, is that really the real Bible, or is that just some man's interpretation of the Bible? It took me a long time to go, okay, it's not only is it all right, but it's amazing to read God's word in a way that you understand. The King James Version, I'm telling you, is a beautiful translation, but it doesn't speak the language of 12-year-old Tim. The Living Bible did. And I regret to this day that I didn't put her critique in the right category and continue to use the Bible that I could understand. Translations are wonderful grace gifts to us. If Jesus can use a translation, so can you. So find a translation that works for you. Now, here's the thing. In the class back here, they're setting the Old Testament. And if you've been a Christian for a while and you've read the Bible and you know, you know Jesus, you know the story of Jesus, you know the purpose and the point of Jesus coming and how much he loves us, then, then the Old Testament is a great place to start your reading program. But, but if you are new, if you are new to faith, if you are new to reading the Bible, can I have you start with Jesus Start with the New Testament. Start with one of the Gospels. John 1.14 says this, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word, God's Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Who was that? That was Jesus. And Jesus came and we beheld his glory and the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so when we read the story of Jesus, we experience grace and truth. In every way, Jesus embodies the heart of God. So start with Jesus. Now, if you've been reading for a long time, just dive in anywhere. Honestly, just start. Just start reading and, and just keep, keep going. But if you're new, start with Jesus. And I, I think Mark is a great place to start. Mark is, is simple and straightforward. Mark or, and Luke, neither one of them were one of Jesus' original disciples. So they weren't there when all this stuff is going on that they end up writing about. So they're writing from the testimony of other people. And many scholars believe that Mark's 
biography is actually what he wrote down when he was talking to Peter. So Peter would tell him the story. These were not learned men, by the way, Acts tells us. Peter would tell the story, and Mark would write it down. And so when you read Mark, you're reading Peter's version of this biography of Jesus. So Mark's a great place to start. But you could start anywhere. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, any of those gospels work. Take that reading plan that I've got, and we'll start there. We'll start in the gospels and, and reintroduce ourselves to Jesus. And then we talked about this earlier, memorizing some scripture. I think memorizing is, a, is an, an amazing, amazing tool that we don't use enough. We're too lazy to memorize. I'm, 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 I'm admitting this to you. But memorizing scripture is the key way that we can fight off the arrows of the enemy. When Jesus is being tempted in the wilderness and, the, and he's hungry, he's been fasting and praying and he's hungry, and the devil comes up to him and says, you know what, you have the power to do this, why don't you just turn those stones to bread? And Jesus responds to him with this, with this, script, with this word. It says, man shall not live by bread alone. And we go, as Christians, we go, oh yeah, well, we'll remember that. But here's the deal. <laughs> Jesus wasn't just making that up on the spot. He was expressing something that had been written years and years and years and years and years ago, back in Deuteronomy. By the way, Deuteronomy is a great book. If you've not noticed, I've quoted a lot from Deuteronomy today. But in Deuteronomy, the, the God reminded the people that, listen, man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And Jesus fights off the temptation of the devil with those words right there. Memorizing scripture gives you the tools in your arsenal to fight the temptations of the enemy. Memorize God's word so that you can fight the devil. We're going to share in a time of communion here. Um, I talked about this verse earlier, Hebrews chapter 4, where we talk about the word of God being alive and active. And it says it's sharper than a surgeon's knife. It's sharper than that double-edged sword. And, and like the surgeon's knife, it penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. I talked to, with uh, some of our doctors this morning. We had our time of communion here earlier. And here's what a doctor or a medical professional would tell you, that one of the most preventative things you can do to take care of yourself is to periodically do some self-examinations, to be aware of where things don't feel right or things don't sound right or things don't, don't look right and go, okay, I need, to, I need to have that checked out. Now, here's the deal. Self-examination will not, will not rid you of disease. You're going to get sick. Stuff happens, but self-examination means that you catch it earlier. It doesn't have the chance to sort of grow and spread and turn into something that, that, that's going to be really hard to get rid of. The same is true when we come to the Lord's table. The scripture says that before you eat and drink the cup, you should examine yourself. And here's why. So that those little sins that we all have don't become vices and, and prisons that are going to be really, really hard to cut out. If, when we sin, I don't say if, but when we sin, if we sort of let it go and say, ah, it's not that big a deal, it's just a lump, well, what's wrong with a lump? No, no, no. If we let that stuff go, it can become, it can become a stronghold that's very hard to break, but if we catch it early, the great physician can deal with it gently and root it out. 
So communion is a time where we give you the opportunity to just examine your heart. So I'm going to be quiet. I'm going to invite Shauna up to just, to just uh, give us some time to do that. I'll pray, and then we will take, take communion. Jesus, this morning, um, we take you up on your invitation to examine ourselves, and we do it. We do it with you right beside us. Your grace and your truth are our companions in this. So speak truth to us. Speak your grace to us. Let us know that you love us. But God, you also love us enough not to leave us with something that's going to destroy us. Today we ask your spirit to speak to us. But in the coming days and weeks and months and year, we want to do that in partnership with your word, to open your word and have it instruct us, have it reprove and correct and encourage us. God, we want to be trained to walk and live in righteousness. We want to be complete and fully equipped for every good work. So we thank you for your word. And Jesus, right now, we thank you for your grace. Because we are going to sin, we are going to mess up, but we are so thankful that the great physician not only heals us from what will come, but he heals us from what has come already. Our sin and our rebellion is like a cancer that was destroying us, and we were unable to cut that out on our own, but you, by your grace, by your work on the cross, have made us new creations, cleansed from sin, and able now to walk in righteousness as we trust in you, empowered by your spirit. Father, this morning, if there's anyone here who does not yet know that saving grace of Jesus, we pray that in this time of communion, they will open themselves up to hear from you and respond to you in obedience. Respond to your love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org slash messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.